This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hi, welcome to episode 215 of the Broadcast Podcast. My name is Beth and I work for the Broadcast Network and part of my role here is uploading the back catalogue of David Devonshire's ministry work over the years and we're so delighted to be able to bring you the most recent course, The Kingdom of God. It's six sessions long, you can do it alongside David's notes as well and yeah, today we're going to be bringing you the first session from the course, which is um, an introduction to the kingdom of God. It talks about what is it? What does it affect? It talks about how the kingdom is not a place. It's a ruling of a king. And it we then goes on to talk about how the church and the kingdom aren't the same thing. And um, yeah, it's just basically a really good opener to this course. And then Throughout the other sessions, it goes on to talk about how we are in the world for God's kingdom. David speaks about seeds and power um, and then finishes with the coming kingdom. And it's a brilliant, brilliant course. I can't recommend enough. So with no further ado, I'm going to hand over to David. But yeah, you can access the full course at thebroadcastnetwork.org. So go and find it on there. Hello, everyone. This is the first of a new series that I'm doing uh, for the broadcast website entitled Introducing the Kingdom of God. And this is the first session, uh, which is like an introduction to the other things that I will be teaching. And as you well know, every group of people, every organisation has its own jargon which if you're not in the know, when you hear the jargon, you often don't know what people are talking about. And Christians are no less guilty than anybody else on this. And also, even within Christendom, the term kingdom or kingdom of God is used in different ways by different people so that often they don't understand exactly what each other mean. In fact, often the word is now used not just as a noun, the kingdom of God, Jesus preaching the kingdom of God and what that means, but it's even used as an adjective. So you get things like kingdom values or kingdom culture or He's a kingdom preacher rather than the church preacher, or he's concerned about the or, uh, kingdom activity rather than simply serving in the church. And so those words are used, but actually people can mean different things by it. So some would use it almost as an equivalent for the gospel or the good news. Well, it's true. Uh, It says that Paul went around preaching the kingdom of God. And the gospel is good news about the kingdom, that Christ is ruling. Sometimes it's used as an equivalent of the church. So that the two are uh, are portrayed as if they're 
alternative terms for the same thing. Sometimes, as I said, it's used as an adjective, kingdom lifestyle, kingdom culture. By the way, as someone who teaches a lot on culture and serving in multicultural churches and cross-cultural mission, I tend not even to use the term kingdom culture simply because it's rather that Christian truth is expressed in different cultural forms according to the culture in which you're reaching. And so sometimes by using that term, people can almost equate what the way they do things with the kingdom of God rather than seeing it as certain values, certain truths that are to be expressed in the, in the different cultures. Others, and this is how I was brought up, I was brought up in a dispensationalist background where the kingdom was future, entirely future. Or it was there for a little while while Jesus was on earth, but then was put off to the future, in a future millennium. And so these words, this word is used differently by different Christians. And all of them would be very different from how the word is used outside of the church. So people may talk about the United Kingdom, that is a place that's ruled uh, by, uh, at least nominally, by a queen. Or people talk about the animal kingdom, that is when they're describing uh, fauna of nature. But it's a very important topic in the New Testament, indeed in the whole of Scripture, as we will see. And so in this introduction, I want to express how I'm understanding the term the kingdom of God. But let's turn to the scriptures first. I'm going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, from verse 12 to 17, and then 23 to 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles or Galilee of the nations. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. By the way, Matthew tends to use the term kingdom of heaven. Other writers use the term kingdom of God. I won't go into the reasons for the differences, but they are describing the same truth. Then it goes on to say, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, I would prefer to say demonized there, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So what is the story behind this? Well, Jesus was 30 years old when he began his public teaching and healing. He had first been baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, 
after the flesh. And John had announced that this was the one to come, the Messiah who John was preparing for. It seems that Jesus started his preaching in the south of the country in Judea, near to where possibly John had been baptizing, though that's in dispute. However, John was put in prison by King Herod, and so Jesus thought it best to move with his disciples north to Galilee. Jesus first visited Nazareth, then moved to base himself in Capernaum, a larger town in Galilee. Peter lived there, the apostle, the disciple, and it seemed Jesus probably based himself in Peter's house. But going to Galilee was very important. It fulfilled an important prophecy from Isaiah, which we've read. From Isaiah chapter 9, Galilee was called Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a very multicultural area. We often forget that when thinking about Galilee, but it was called that for a reason. Many languages were spoken. And it was said that the people living in darkness there have seen a great light. Jesus announced the kingdom of heaven was near, so repent. And what would that have meant to those who listened? What would they have understood by the kingdom of God? The Jews, with others listening in, the Jews knew about the kingdom of God. It was when God would come through his Messiah and rule among his people. A dynamic idea. Overthrow their enemies, at that time the Romans, and judge the world. This is what they expected. So when Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is at hand, They were anticipating a military overthrow of the Roman power and an establishment of Israel as uh, obviously God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people, but that would be publicly known and the other nations would come to acknowledge that. However, when John the Baptist and even more when Jesus spoke about it, they did not fit people's presuppositions. The presupposition of what the Jews were expecting is what I've just described in summary. John's preaching attacked the religious leaders who would have have thought that they would be the ones with power in this new kingdom. John the Baptist called them a brood of snakes. Scarcely politically correct language for the time. And Jesus, when he was teaching about the kingdom, taught things like, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. That's not what nationalistic Jews who had an anticipation of what the kingdom of God would be, wanted to hear. They wanted it to speak about the overthrow of their occupiers, the occupiers of their land. Jesus also says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist also preached a message of repentance. What did he mean? Jesus was meaning the rule of God into this world was now coming through Jesus. This means they had to change their mind on their previous understanding. Repentance, 
yes, as John the Baptist spoke about, but he actually was very uh, straight about what it meant. Repentance for individual sins. But also, he was calling them to repent on a broader level, to change their understanding. Because this kingdom would grow through people demonstrating justice, righteousness, loving their neighbour, including those very different from them, as Jesus' teaching later makes clear. Feeding the hungry, setting people free from bondage, sharing the good news that God is now reigning through Jesus Christ. Setting people free in bondage, from bondage. Teaching them to hear the good news of forgiveness from God and then forgiving one another and their enemies. Not that Rome would be overthrown at that time, though that happened centuries later, but sin and death. So what was repenting? Turning around. Having a new direction in terms of your personal life and your worldview thinking of what the kingdom was to be. And then Jesus demonstrated that the rule of God, the active dynamic ruling of God expressed through his ministry was coming by teaching, preaching, healing every sort of disease, setting people from, free from demons. This was not just teaching the kingdom, but demonstrating it. God's rule has come, and there's a blessing of healing and deliverance. News spread far and wide. Already, the truth about the practical demonstration of the rule of God through Jesus was being heard about far and wide, over hundreds of miles. Often we miss that from this particular story. All over Syria, it says. That was north of Galilee. And people followed him from the Decapolis. That's the ten cities that were Gentile cities. All over Judea, Jerusalem, and across the Jordan into the Nabataean Arab kingdom. Pain, epilepsy. Paralysis, 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 all healed. Demons left people. A wonderful season of demonstrating, not just teaching, the beneficent rule of God that had come. This is the kingdom, not overthrowing the Romans. So what do we mean? What is the kingdom? Well, it's not a place you go into, but the ruling of a king. Wherever the rule of Jesus goes, there is the kingdom. It's a dynamic, not a static concept. If the sick are healed, the kingdom of God is manifested. If the demonized are set free, Jesus said, if I, by the finger of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And all over the world, even today, people are being set free from demonic power. Good news to the poor. The poor are fed, the hungry are fed, the, cared, the poor are cared for. Where God is obeyed, his kingdom comes practically. His will is done. Your kingdom come, Jesus said. And then as a parallel statement, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus defeated the devil and sin at the cross and resurrection. 
So he now rules the world, but not everything yet has practically come under his reign. It will do. So there is a future dimension to the kingdom. That is that uh, one day when Jesus returns, his kingdom will be manifested. He will rule. There will be a new heaven and new earth. But already his enemies are defeated. But it says he is reigning. Not that he will reign when all his enemies are under his feet. But he is reigning until all his enemies are under his feet. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 25. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But we have to implement that authority. How? By making disciples, those who follow Jesus and obey what he says, not just have an intellectual understanding of Christianity, by making disciples of every people, ethnic group. Until, as he says, the gospel of the kingdom is preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. God is now forming his kingdom gradually through this world. And there are parables which we'll look at next time which exhibit this. Like the yeast the woman took in and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through the dough. So that's what the kingdom is. It's the blessing of the rule of Christ and the righteousness of the rule of Christ and justice coming into society. But we enter the kingdom, of course, through being born again, by having that inner change, being born from above, as John's gospel, Jesus expresses it in John's gospel. So what is the relationship between the church and the kingdom? They are not the same. The kingdom is bigger than the church but the church is part of the kingdom. It's where God's rule is demonstrated. And the church is the witness to the kingdom. I've given you the keys of the kingdom, said Jesus to Peter, in the context of building the church and preaching the gospel to let people in through receiving the message, the, the good news of the kingdom of God, which is Jesus is reigning. Okay? It's, and, and it's very important we preach a complete gospel. Yes, our sins are forgiven, but the good news is that Jesus is now on the throne having overcome Satan um, and sin and, and uh, the devil, uh, Satan and, and sin and death. And the church is the agent of the kingdom. When Jesus was here, he was the bringer of the kingdom. And that through the church, those that belong to the kingdom, this is now the means where God's rule is extended throughout the world. The church is the agent of God's mission on earth. What is that mission? To preach the gospel of the kingdom until all things are brought under the dominion and headship of Christ. To, um, that's God's purpose, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, and he is head of the church. 
that will occur, as I said, after Christ's second coming. But our mission be, must be consistent with God's purpose and Christ's mission. Hence, the church is always to, seeking to manifest and establish the kingdom of God into the world. How do we do it? Well, just briefly, by prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the church's prayer. It starts off, our Father. It's a corporate prayer. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, we are uh, uniting ourselves with all believers and we're saying, our Father. So much Western Christianity is individualistic. We need to be reminded that uh, the Lord's Prayer brings us together by evangelism and where we are and world mission to the other parts of the world, calling people to be born again, to change their, their lives, to repent, to turn to Christ, whatever words you want to use, into the kingdom. Then by the integrity of our lives, we demonstrate the rule of God by the by the integrity of our lives, in our personal dealings with people, in our work, in our business. We uh, are honest, we're full of integrity. By our family lives, we are demonstrating and we are sought the, the kingdom of God so that we're the salt of the earth. And then by what I call prophetic social action, because social action is meaningful in itself because God cares for the poor but it is also a demonstration prophetically of what happens with the kingdom of God. And by involvement in everyday life through our work and through everything we do and involvement in culture, we are leaven in the flower or the kingdom of God is through us. But the church as a community prophetically demonstrates the kingdom. How we are as churches corporately must be according to kingdom values so that we are a city set on a hill. The light of the world, as Jesus was the light of the world, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. We demonstrate, and sadly, so often, the church has been a poor witness to the kingdom because our corporate expression is not demonstrating the integrity that the kingdom of God speaks about. What sort of things does it affect? Well, it affects all sorts of things. Sickness, the power of God demonstrated in signs and wonders and transformation of lives. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, Paul says. It's involved in spiritual warfare, with demons being cast out of people. I've already quoted this scripture, but I'll mention it again. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you, Luke eleven twenty. It affects poverty. It means generosity to the poor. It's helping the poor have the dignity of work. It's bringing justice to the poor. Not just 
handing, not just blessing them, but seeking to undermine the power structures that keep the poor down. And in work and business, at work, the church, remember, the church is the church all the time. The church is not a, we all know the church is not a building, but it's also not a gathering or a number of gatherings, big and small. The church is a group of people who most of the time are what we call the church scattered. That is, they're in their family life, they're in their work life, they are doing all sorts of things away from other believers, but they're still the church. And the kingdom, and we are training people as Christian leaders, which will be equipping people, not just, as we'll see in a later session, not just for how they function within the church gathered, but how they are as members of the body when they are scattered. And, and it, it affects how we are in things like the arts. It's not just that we have Christian music, but musicians are active in the world. Music is one of the blessings of God to different cultures. And Christians are involved in that. It also means integration and diversity. So that, for example, in terms of race, the curse of separation at Babel is turned to blessing at Pentecost. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and therefore by extension between every ethnic group was smashed at the cross. Pentecost undid the curse of Babel so that every language can now understand. And so the glory of the kingdom is that people from their multiplied different cultures are one in Christ and demonstrate that unity in Christ. And that is what demonstrates the rule of God and the wisdom of God, according to Ephesians chapter 3, to the principalities and powers, the spiritual forces at work behind this world, but also the uh, working out of that with institutions in the world that they see in the church, racism has no part. They see in the church that social dis distinctions don't have hold water, that people who are from very poor backgrounds can be uh, leaders, teaching people who are from rich backgrounds. There's all those sort of things, slave and free according to scriptural times, and we apply that in different ways today, we're all working together to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And I believe that's why even in this first demonstration of the kingdom of God through Jesus, all ethnic groups were included. Though he came first to the Jews and the gospel came first to the Jews, as Jesus was preaching, blessing went into all these other people groups. And then it also affects justice issues and ethical issues in the nation. So that uh, where we can, it's very interesting that if you study the New Testament, uh, the church was to demonstrate something different, but there will be an outflow of that 
where we have the liberty to do so, to transform society as well. And so, for ethical issues and justice issues, the church seeks to bring the kingdom of God. But in order to do that, we are to repent. The message was that the reign of God has come through Christ. So the response was repent. Repentance is not just being sorry or regretting. It is a total change of direction. I'm walking this way. I hear about the good news of the kingdom of God. I see that Christ is reigning and a totally different standard and that, that I have power in him to live differently and I turn around and turn around and walk in his direction. I don't just add the blessing of being a Christian to all the things that I'm currently living out my life. It transforms the way I live my life in everything. And so repentance was needed to enter the kingdom of God in two aspects, personal sins. And so the tax collectors were told by John the Baptist, stop cheating people. People were to you, you, you stop sinning against the law of God. But also you repent from the wrong attitude of the prevailing culture. There were others at the time of Jesus announcing the kingdom, but through rebellion against Rome, military resistance and, and an attempted takeover of power. Jesus himself had been tempted in the wilderness to follow just that pattern. If he'd given way to the devil, all the kingdoms of the earth would have been given to him. But these people that Jesus was addressing had to repent of that way of bringing the kingdom. And we have to repent of the things in our culture or our worldview, because there was worldview challenge here to the... Uh, uh, Jews, particularly the Jewish leaders listening to him needs to be worldview changed needs to be worldview changed with us as well so that no longer are we uh, simply following the worldview of our culture but we are repenting deeply from attitudes that prevail in the culture whilst honouring the things that are God's gifts to that culture an important balance and that's so that's the same today personal sins attitude sins looking down on others not bringing justice to the poor seeing the kingdom as only the religious side of my life and so on and so it's to affect everything that we do so that's what the kingdom means. It's the dynamic ruling of Christ through us into every situation. 